0: 919- Nine, eight, seven, two, seven, thousand. Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc., investment
1: advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc., and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight.
2: This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Hi, Frank. How can I help you?
4: Um, my question is this. I've been doing a lot of uh, evaluating our different types of investment opportunities. <clears throat> and I was talking to someone, and they said that um, if you pay off your mortgage, you know, on... Uh, your, your properties, like I have two different properties. One of them is a rental property, one of them is my own home personal property. Um, and Both of them have mortgages on them. Now if I go ahead and pay off my mortgages and use that as an investment, wouldn't I save like hundreds of thousands of dollars over the period of say 10 or 15 years?
1: This is a very interesting computation because you have three things there. It's very much like a seesaw. Whatever you do is going to have an impact on something else. For example, yes, if you pay off your mortgages, assuming you have the cash to do so, then you totally will save all the rest of that mortgage interest, and it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on your numbers. On the other hand, you also increase your taxes for all those years. So you've got a negative to factor in there by reducing outlay, in other words, all the savings that you made, you know, that's a plus, and then all the taxes you lose by doing this are a minus. So you've got those two components to the equation. First, you have to figure how much are the cash savings in the mortgage payments. Then you have to subtract from that the tax savings which you lost by having no more tax deduction on the interest payment. Then number three, you've got to go ahead and take the cost of the money That would have been invested in an alternative investment that you use to pay off that mortgage. Mm -hmm. You've got to subtract that because that's lost also. Right. And you have to weigh these three things against each other to compare which way it turns out better for you. The variables in this situation are the alternative investments yield or income Mm -hmm. and the interest rate on the mortgage if it's variable and the tax rates. Uh, the, you do need a software to do that. I do that all the time for clients to help decide which way it's best for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to keep the three components moving simultaneously to make the decision.
4: So sometimes it would be beneficial and sometimes it wouldn't. I would say in most cases
1: of people I have run, it is not beneficial to pay off your mortgages investment-wise. I see. Now, there are other reasons you might do so. Uh-huh. Comfort level... Uh, worry about your job being lost and so on. Oh, 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 I see. But comparing it to an investment, it's rare that uh, that the numbers work out to that benefit because you do get that income tax break.
4: Yeah, that's true. But then again, you don't have a house payment once you, you know, once you're finished. I mean, that's gone.
1: That's true. So is the money that you use okay. to pay it off, yeah. and the income from that money. <laughs> it's a push-pull situation. <laughs> hmm. so, Frank, if you call me at my office, I can go ahead and work through some numbers for you a little better. Okay. Okay? okay well, got another I'm, question for me?
4: Um, no, that was it. Uh, i just been doing a lot of thinking about that. i got a lot of extra money now, and uh, I was going to go ahead and pay my, mo- my, uh, my mortgages off.
1: I would generally run the numbers first before you do that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, you okay. want to be careful. My number at the office is 8727000. 8727000, and I can plug them into a software and run that for you if you like. All right, well, thanks a lot. You're sure welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye now.
2: Doug, wasn't that, a, Deborah, wasn't that a very interesting question? And, you know, um, this is what we deal with on a daily basis financial planning. It's called cash flow planning. But the cash flow planning affects. Your investment planning as well, right?
1: That's exactly right, Linda.
2: Because, you know, I know that there are some out there that say, oh, pay off your, be debt free. Pay off your mortgage, every money, throw some money at your mortgage, pay it down, pay it down. But along the way, as you're working, you want to accumulate, right? Right. That's as stupid as saying, I'm only
1: going to pay attention to my feet, I'm going to ignore my legs. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean there's they, just, they're, they're
3: interrelated. Right.
1: How are you going to take care of your feet and forget your legs?
3: Right. And then, and then any of those, you know, those, those quips that people will spell, well, you know what? If they worked and they worked for everybody, we'd all be financially independent. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face to face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 872 7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000.
1: Well, Lynn, what's new in the area of retirement planning?
5: Well,
2: Doug, um, you know, there are some common misconceptions about IRAs, aren't there?
1: There really are, Linda. A lot of people don't understand things about IRAs. And uh, since IRAs often represent a significant portion of a retiree's net worth, many planning opportunities are available to the informed if such uh, answers can be got. Now, the first misconception that people have, it seems to me, is that minimum distribution decisions must be made when the IRA owner reaches 70 and a half years old. But actually, that's not true. The required distribution date, the beginning date, is not age 70 and a half, Lynn. It's actually April 1 of the calendar year after you turn 70 and a half.
2: Now, what are the required minimum distributions based on?
1: Well, they're going to be based on either the joint life expectancy of yourself, if it's your IRA, and your spouse or whoever the designated beneficiary is going to be uh, as of the time of that beginning date. If there is no designated beneficiary, uh, then the distributions can be based on a single life as if it was just you.
2: Now, there is a second misconception that some folks have about IRAs as individual retirement accounts is that you cannot change. Some people think that you cannot change the beneficiary of an IRA after the required beginning date. Is that true?
1: Yeah, you're right, Lynn. That is a misconception. The beneficiary of an IRA actually can be changed any time you want while the IRA owner is alive. It's the payout method that gets locked in, not the beneficiary. And that payout method gets locked in at the required beginning date. Now, the key to remember here is that if the beneficiary is changed after the required beginning date, then the minimum required distributions may need to be increased, but they're never allowed to be decreased.
2: Now, this is a misconception here. Um, If the IRA owner dies after his or her required beginning date, with a spouse named as beneficiary, then the spouse is locked into the minimum distribution schedule of the IRA owner. Is that is that a misconception?
1: Yeah, that's another mistake that people hold. They think that once you've set up your uh, minimum distribution and it's locked in and uh, you're married, that if one spouse dies, that lock-in minimum payment has to be continued to the next to their surviving spouse. And that's not so. At the IRA owner's death, the spouse can then treat the IRA as if it were his or her own IRA and do what we call a spousal rollover and just roll the money over into her IRA. And then she has the choice of naming a new beneficiary and calculating new minimum distributions just as if she was the account owner herself in the beginning. So uh, a lot of people are confused about what has to happen with those minimum distributions On IRAs at death.
2: You can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919 USA 7000. That's 919 872 7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. A fourth misconception is uh, that naming a charity or a charitable remainder trust as partial beneficiary of an IRA may be a wise planning decision. Is that true?
5: Well,
1: if you do, it may be a terrible planning mistake to really do something like that. Because when calculating the minimum distributions from an IRA that has multiple beneficiaries, uh, the IRS looks for you to look at the worst case beneficiary for determining life expectancy. And since a charity is not a person, that's going to be the worst case because the charity doesn't have a life expectancy and so it's going to bump back to single life. Now, uh, there's a solution. There's actually a couple of solutions to this problem. One solution is you can go ahead and break your IRA into a couple of IRAs and then let one IRA, if you want part of it to go to a charity, let part of it go that way. Another way is to use a charitable remainder trust. And I like this one a lot, Linda. I do this a number of times uh, with my clients where we set up a charitable remainder trust as the beneficiary of the IRA. You know, if you get a million dollar IRA and you die and you have a spouse, no problem. Uh, she can actually just receive it and roll it over into her own, and there's no problem, no taxes. But at her death now, that IRA is going to, let's assume they've got a $5 million estate. That IRA, when she leaves it to her children, it's going to lose probably uh, $700,000 in taxes out of that million. So the way to solve this dilemma is yes, to use a charitable beneficiary, but use a charitable trust beneficiary. So now, at her death, it goes to the charitable trust, and the charitable trust then pays income to the children for either their lives or for a period of years, maybe 20 years or something like that, and there's no taxes paid whatsoever.
2: Now, this is definitely a sophisticated strategy, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. this is. You don't try this one on your own. That's like brain surgery. You you don't do this one on your own. But it works in a wonderful way if you can run the numbers and if you see what's happening there.
2: Okay, Doug. There, uh, now, a fifth misconception is that IRAs invested in mutual funds and CDs are an excellent li- liquid asset for paying estate taxes. Is that a misconception?
1: That's another one of those big no, 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 wrong, wrong answer that people have about IRAs. IRAs that are left intact at death can continue to grow and grow for decades. In fact, with proper planning, a large IRA can provide for the owner and the spouse during their lives and then later provide for the IRA's owner's children during their lifetimes.
2: And if you would like any other information, you can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919-USA-7000. That's 919-872-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of estate planning?
1: Quite frankly, Linda, many people think only wealthy individuals need an estate plan. In fact, it may be more important for a person with a modest estate to conserve the maximum value of their assets. An estate is a coordinated strategy for conserving assets you've accumulated during your lifetime and distributing them according to your wishes at the time of your death. Because planning for death is not a pleasant subject, many people avoid developing a coordinated strategy, one that uses different tools or devices such as wills, trusts, contracts, or property titles to distribute property. Real estate, for example, may be distributed by proper titling. Retirement plans and life insurance often pass according to beneficiary designations. An estate plan can also take into consideration special circumstances, such as care for aged and infirmed parents, a disabled child, or gifts to a favored charity. The costs to settle your estate generally fall into three categories. Number one, administration and probate costs, including attorney's fees. Number two, federal estate taxes. And number three, state inheritance taxes. In most cases, these costs can be reduced or eliminated by careful planning. Review your plan periodically to reflect changes in your personal situation and changes in the law property left outright or in a qualified trust to a surviving spouse is not subject to federal estate taxation under the unlimited marital deduction rule. Tax laws are complicated and change often. The time to get answers isn't in the distant future. The time to get an estate plan together is now. Find a certified financial planner who can help you with your estate or someone else will after your death. Seek competent financial advice and if you have any financial questions, Call me at eight seven two seven thousand. That's eight seven two seven thousand. And remember, your financial future is at stake. Mark? Yeah. Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you?
5: Uh, Doug, I got, want to give you my situation real quick, and I'll try to be brief. I uh, got married about a year and a half ago, just sold a house from moving out of town, actually out of state, um, and I've got a, uh, got about 13000 in cash, just got the house sold as well as uh, got my yearly bonus. And I'm wondering, you know, I've got a little bit of debt, about $5,000 consumer debt, you know, tw- paying 12% on it. Um, how do you, how should I, and I also got uh, one car payment, it's only six months away from being completed and that's it. It's my wife's car. Uh, how should I proceed from this point?
1: How old are you?
5: I'm 26.
1: 26 years old. you married? Right. Children? No. Married, no children. Wife working?
5: Yeah, yeah.
1: What's your combined income?
5: Let's see, uh, I'll make, let 56, about 39, I guess about 95.
1: 95,000, that's a good income for, you know what you guys are called, don't you? Dinks.
5: Yeah, I've heard that.
1: Okay, dual income, no kids. That's dinks. Right, I've heard that. Okay, well, for a couple of dinks that are making 95,000 and only 26 years old, I'd say you could afford to be a little aggressive in building your wealth portfolio. Now, that means that you also have a tax problem and you could go, you could afford. To go ahead and have a maximum leverage on your home. What type home are you going to buy?
5: Well, that's what. Let me let me mention this too. Uh, I'm enrolled in a 401k plan with my corporation, uh-huh. and they're taking six percent of my salary and deferring it, and they match it seventy five cents on the dollar each year. Uh huh. So that that's a fund. I think I put like, uh, oh, I guess it's uh, it'll be about $250, 300 dollars a month this year out of each of my two paychecks.
1: Uh, what kind of work do you do?
5: Uh, I work for a major corporation. Uh, it's it's managerial. Uh, my salary is about fifty six. probably grow to sixty next year. uh-huh. you know, just just modest.
1: okay, but you're on a salary, not commission.
5: Well, I'm salary plus bonus, so salary plus bonus I made about uh, average about nine thousand dollars bonuses left. You know what I would do? I would keep
1: your house modest. One of the biggest mistakes I see with young couples that start to have high income early,
5: uh-huh. What you, what's your but, word of modest in Raleigh, like about 100 to 125 Yeah. Or, or less than that?
1: I'd say go as modest as you can. you got two problems with that because as soon as you go with a higher price home, that's a bigger home that requires more funding, you're into a higher lifestyle, your wife's going to have to go ahead and see if she can get a new set of china and nice crystal and this and that, and she's got to keep up with the neighbors and so forth and so on. And before you know it, you're running the race that all the doctors are running. You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, and I'm not ready to get in that race. Right, and nobody
1: ever says they're ready to get into that race. But what happens is, as soon as they take that first step, they move into a fancy neighborhood, get a nice home worth a dollars $200,000, and right away they're at it. I would keep that low, especially if you're in your 20s. And I would work on accumulating wealth. It's a lot of fun to watch it build. Really? Uh-huh.
5: Well, like I say, you, you got my, my current status. I've got about 13 in cash, uh-huh. and I've got about $6,000 in consumer debt. What would you do? Would you try to pay off that consumer debt, put, put the rest on a down payment, and then just start add, increasing your monthly... Uh, if out-pay? I could... Fi- that kind of thing.
1: If I could fund, uh, if I could qualify for a ninety-five percent or a ninety percent mortgage, I'd take it, and then I'd start, uh, I'd start building your portfolio because uh, you don't have a lot to start with. How,
5: how can you? Uh, well, I do have a couple of holdings. Uh, I've got a, an IRA that's worth about thirty-five. That's in stocks. It's self-directed.
1: How'd you get thirty-five thousand in an IRA? Uh, thirty-five
5: hundred. Oh, okay. $35,000, Thirty-five hundred. All right. And then I've got a. Um, I've got a money market account with a thousand in it and uh I got about stocks worth you know, just stocks that I hold worth about oh about thousand dollars or so. So I got a little bit of a small portfolio, you know, just just barely yeah. beginning here.
1: Call me at the office eight seven two seven thousand. That's my office number, eight seven two seven thousand. 7000 Uh I can pursue it further with you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Okie doke. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate
2: your call. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us. What about revocable living trusts?
1: Well, revocable trusts, these can be a very attractive strategy to solve clients' needs. A revocable trust centered estate plan offers many benefits that a plain old last will and testament can't do. Trust centered plans are better for clients and We like them a lot in our office, but understanding the benefits of a trust-centered estate plan is important.
3: So are there a few things that a trust can do?
1: Yes. There are four investment management advantages of revocable trusts. So the first thing is a revocable trust helps you faithfully implement your investment and distribution strategies. Custodians freeze accounts that are owned individually by a decedent, which can complicate asset management process, especially if you're tactical or making periodic distributions from your investments. But a revocable trust with co-trustees can be managed seamlessly without the need to open up another account and transfer assets. So the first thing is, the revocable trust can help you faithfully implement your investment strategies.
3: Well, that sounds good. Revocable trusts can also simplify management of illiquid alternative investments. This is especially true of real estate, private equity, and private debt. Normally, it is much simpler to alert an issuer or sponsor about a change in the acting trustees than to retitle such assets.
1: Yeah, the revocable trust also avoids opening probate in each jurisdiction. I'm thinking of a client right now of ours who has property in... At least six, if not 10 counties. I think it's more than 10 counties. and uh, But the revocable trust is the ideal vehicle because we have all those properties inside the trust. And it's even more complicated if you have property in different states, Absolutely. you don't have to open up a probate in each jurisdiction at death. So that's the second benefit of the revocable trust. The third so, benefit of the revocable
2: trust. A third advantage is that revocable trusts reduce paralysis or rash changes during times of grief. Grieving surviving spouses often either suffer decision-making paralysis or opt for wholesale investment strategy changes. By holding investments in trusts, you lighten such clients' decision-making load during a stressful time and help them avoid any rash changes that may be instigated by new account and transfer paperwork. So depending on the mix of assets and the current market price, premature liquidation may produce a disappointing outcome.
3: If you want an idea of how much your benefits will, in fact, be subject to taxes, call Lewis Financial Management, set an appointment to meet face-to-face, call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. The last thing that a trust can do, or one of the last things, is by helping surviving uh, clients avoid rash changes, you add importance, and value. This is a big part of what we do at Lewis Financial Management. While all the assets in some revocable trusts may enjoy a step up in basis, in many cases, those jointly owned by the surviving spouse will not. If their basis is low and a surviving spouse opts for a wholesale sell-off, it may lead to unnecessarily large capital gains taxes.
1: You know, the there is a fifth, well, of course, those four, uh, advantages are investment managers of the revocable trust. That's what they are. There is a major advantage of the revocable trust that I always bring to the, my client's attention.
3: Do and we that, mean an advantage over the will? A yes, simple will? Yes, it's a okay. matter
1: of confidentiality. Absolutely. Because all the assets that are owned inside the revocable trust are secret to the public. The public never knows them. So when you die, your spouse has she receives if it's if it's your wife she can receive everything but the public never knows what she receives and that is very crucial to me because I've seen so many cases where it's just it's an embarrassing it's a hard situation uh the public now knows what she inherited
3: and there could be unscrupulous people wanting to call on
1: her right now there are four things that the trust can do that a will cannot do
3: And then now, let's go over four things a trust can do that a will can't.
1: Yeah, they're similar. Wills and trusts are similar, but the opportunities that the trust provides make it a far superior planning tool for virtually everyone, because the first thing that the trust can do, it acts as a disability plan.
3: A revocable trust provides protection during three phases. What happens when the trustmaker is alive and well? What happens if the trustmaker is alive but not so well? And what happens after the trustmaker dies? It's during the second phase that the trust really outshines a will. If the trust maker becomes incapacitated, the disability trustee can step in and take care of things immediately and without court intervention. This keeps the trust property under control of a trusted family member or a friend instead of a guardianship judge. That's
1: crucial. That really is because so many of our clients, as they age, uh, they face the possibility of incapacitation, maybe a stroke, maybe senility, maybe Alzheimer's, but they haven't died, and yet, uh, who's handling their money now? If they set it up ahead of time, in a tr- in a revocable trust, it's very often. The co-trustee could be the spouse or the children. That's right. Doesn't have to go to a guardianship judge.
3: So take out a pen and paper, write down our number. It's 919-872-7000. Hold on to that pen and paper and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you
2: should talk about. A second important factor is keep assets outside of of probate. Probate is a time-consuming and costly court-supervised public process. And a will-focused estate plan lands heirs squarely in probate court. A trust-focused estate plan allows the settlement trustee this to, uh, to step in and to carry out the trustmaker's final wishes without any court involvement or oversight. So it, it, it tends to simplify The instructions and what happens. Oh,
1: yeah. You remember when your mother passed away, Linda. It was just as easy as could be. You just follow the instructions uh, that are in the trust and give them to the heir. And you don't have to go through the whole uh, probate process because they bypass probate. Now, the third benefit of the trust over the will is it keeps a minor's inheritance outside of guardianship. A trust for the minor can be created in a revocable trust and named as the beneficiary of the account. This allows the client to decide how long the trust is going to continue, maybe age 25, 30. A lot of times we have clients that say they want to keep it to age 45 or 50, maybe even for the lifetime. It doesn't automatically become the, the, uh, the minors at age 18.
3: That's right. Another thing that a trust can do that a will can't is keep final wishes private. A will filed for probate becomes a public court record, which means anyone, including predators and your competitors, can go down to the local probate court and read wills and other probate documents. On the other hand, a revocable trust is a private document that remains confidential during life and after death. You know, so this is you know, a, a topical issue, and you don't have to be wealthy to implement it and really receive some real benefit of talking with someone. Is it a will or is it a trust that I should have?
1: But one of the things we're also looking at is how up-to-date are their estate plans?
2: Yes, and it's true that uh, it, many folks do procrastinate, and even some of our senior citizens, and wait until late in life to even address estate planning issues. So if you're out there listening and you've got a question about your estate plan and whether or not it's time to have a second look at what you've got in place, and maybe you have concerns because maybe you've got an elderly parent who's, or even a spouse who's going through uh, the beginning stages of dementia or Alzheimer's, work with certified financial planner that can assist you in looking at your personal situation and have comfort that what you're doing is in line with the goals and the objectives that you have for your family and your loved ones.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Like any profession, the investment industry has its own vocabulary, and that can be confusing and sometimes even off-putting. It's worth your while to become familiar with this specialized language. Not only will you feel better equipped to communicate your needs, but you can be sure those needs are actually met.
1: All right, so let me give you a, a term, Deborah. Okay. How about the term fiduciary?
3: It means annuity salesman. (laughs) All right. A fiduciary, in all seriousness, when you're paying for advisory services, it should be clearly stated that your financial professional is working in this capacity. A fiduciary must act in the best interest of his client and avoid any conflicts. For example, he can't make recommendations that produce higher commissions for himself or his firm. So do your research and ask questions about licenses, certifications, and compensation, and then get it in writing. That's what we do at Lewis Financial Management. Get it in writing that
1: your individual is a fiduciary required by law to put your interest first. All right, another topic, another uh, um, term that confuses people with regard to risk is what we call interest rate risk. You know, here, conservative investors often buy bonds because they think that they're safe. But fluctuating interest rates can pose a risk. For example, if interest rates rise, bond values typically fall. So again, call us at Lewis Financial Management about further diversifying your portfolio mix to reduce your risk.
3: Now, another term that is often confusing is the sequence of returns risk. And this was uh, highlighted in many of the seminars that I was attending. Really? Yes, because this is where the focus on retirement income needs to be uh, stressed. Too many years of negative returns at the start of your retirement can substantially damage your nest egg, perhaps to the point where you won't recover the loss. And this, Doug, is when you are uh, stressing so many times to clients in our office, listeners on Sunday night, you need to live off the eggs. Don't Don't kill kill your your chickens." chickens. And if you do kill too many chickens, it's this sequence of returns risk that you are feeling. It's the reduction of the amount that you'll be able to withdraw over your lifetime. This is a major concern for today's retirees. Many of you are counting on your investments to provide most of your retirement income. It's not Social Security income. The pension may be gone. It's investment income. And unfortunately, it's simply a matter of timing and something over which you have little control, which is one more reason why you should work with us, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Call us at Lewis Financial Management.
1: There's another set of terms that's very interesting and confuses a lot of people. It's the difference between risk tolerance and risk capacity. So risk tolerance is basically your emotional ability to withstand losses to your portfolio without panicking. Well, if that's risk tolerance, Deborah, what's risk capacity?
3: Well, risk capacity is a bit different. It's your ability to take a loss without it affecting your lifestyle. Or it could be your need to take a bit more risk in order to grow your nest egg so that it meets your financial needs. It's useful to know both your tolerance and capacity to avoid making knee-jerk decisions during market fluctuations.
1: Of course, another term so popular today is annuities. And annuities, it's important to understand, are contracts offered by insurance companies. They are not investments. No matter what they tell you, they are insurance contracts offered by insurance companies to uh, To cover risk transfer.
3: Now, Linda, what about the required minimum distribution? These are things we call RMDs, Linda.
2: Well, these mandatory yearly withdrawals start in the year that a person turns 70 and a half. So, generally, you have to take your RMDs from any of your retirement accounts in which you have contributed tax deferred assets or had tax deferred earnings such as your 401Ks in your IRAs. And if you don't, you'll face severe penalties. If you need help,
3: call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, Linda, many clients begin their relationship with us when they are in their 30s and 40s, and they know that they must have a plan to accomplish their goals. What is your advice for young investors to get started? Well,
1: everyone should begin with accumulating on a regular monthly basis. This accumulation should begin with an emergency fund, then a retirement investment plan, and then a personal investment plan. The hardest part for most people is knowing how to get started.
2: So we begin with analyzing your monthly expenses. Once a person knows what their monthly lifestyle is, then they know what they'll need to save in an emergency fund. And your emergency fund should cover the number of months that you think it would take to replace your job. And most people estimate that they would need Three to six months to get a new job if they lost their current one.
1: If you have an employer retirement plan, like a 401k or a 403b, you should know up to what percent the employer is going to match your contributions. Our rule of thumb is that you should contribute only up to that amount and then stop. Of course, you don't want to give away that free money. That's the match money.
2: Next, you should invest outside your employer's 401k plan. With our help, we'll help you choose the investments that, you, that will be owned by you and not restricted by your retirement plan rules. And this will give you access to the whole wide world of investments, not just those that are available to you in your 401k. All
1: right, so let's take an example of a recent client. Uh, as I recall, they were in their forties. I think he was forty-five and she was forty-two. They had a combined family income of one hundred and sixty-five thousand. He made ninety thousand. She makes seventy-five thousand. They've got two boys, twelve and seven years old. Their recurring monthly gross income is thirteen thousand seven hundred, and their recurring monthly expenses are six thousand. They're both contributing up to the match in their 401ks and no more. They've already saved 20000 in their emergency fund. So after we had analyzed this amount for them, they then set up the goal of investing on a monthly basis into a personal investment portfolio of investments at the rate of 2000 a month. Now, this 2000 a month is going to go into a growth and in income mutual fund. And as this investment increases, then we're going to add another mutual fund. And with this monthly investing plan in place, if their investments average 7% average annual return over the next 15 years, this 2000 a month is going to accumulate for them about $375,000 outside of their IRAs. We'll monitor this for them month by month, as well as their 401ks. We will stay with them along the way as they achieve their goals of financial independence. And that's just the way we do it.
3: Yeah. You know, the the beauty of that scenario is that most of us fit into that typical category. So most of our clients who are coming to us in their 30s and 40s feel a lot like you. If you're listening tonight and you're thinking, wow. Those aren't super high earners. Those are folks just like me who have real responsibilities, boys who are going to need a college education. They have real expenses. And their goal was $2,000 a month with the goal of, of course, over the next five years, getting it up to about 4000 But they saw the benefit of those retirement plans growing as one portfolio and this personal portfolio having the ability to, on a month-by-month accumulation to be twice the size of what they could accumulate in both their 401ks. Beautiful. And at that point, they could really see themselves retiring in 15
2: to 20 years. And if you would like to schedule an appointment or maybe you want a second opinion about your current asset allocation, call us at Lewis Financial Management. Comprehensive financial planning is what we do every day with our clients and we'll, we'd love to help you. Call us to schedule your appointment at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. Doug, Deborah, you know, some of our uh, clients over the years, um, especially those that, that purchased long-term care uh, policies in the earlier years, do have these benefits at their fingertips because they they bought it, they purchased a policy when it was affordable right now policies for long-term care are these days more expensive
1: and they've cut the benefits
2: and the you know there was one at one time you could get uh, first day coverage now it's like a 30 60 or 90 day waiting period before your benefits begin right so and in lots some, changed and in some cases you know, by the 90th day, you're already being discharged from rehab. And, you know, there there are some patients or, you know, some clients that have become patients, whether it was because they had to have hip surgery or maybe they were out walking the dog and they fell and they broke their leg or whatever the situation is, that, that uh, these costs are real costs. And it is important. To plan. Because if you don't have a policy, well, let's say this, if you do have a policy, thank God, because you have a little bit of benefit that is going to go towards paying whatever your insurer didn't cover. Right? That's right. But but it has to be a bigger, it has to be a
3: part of a bigger conversation. Right. You know, uh, the policy may expire and your change or
2: your, your needs may change. And so, you know, what we're talking about is at various stages of life, our needs will vary. That's right. And when you work with a certified financial planner, they can assist you in looking at where your needs are and looking at what are the solutions to grow your wealth, to accumulate your wealth, and to, to possibly let, be able to self
3: insure. I mean, exactly. that's the overall goal. That's what we all want. And if you need advice, call me during the week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Let's take another caller, Doug.
1: Well, Charles, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner, and how can I help you this Hi, evening? Mr. Lewis. Uh, how
6: are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Uh, give me a little uh, advice here. Uh, All right. If you can, please, sir. My, my wife and I are thinking about buying a home. Okay. We're uh, 38. I'm 38. She's 37. All no right. children, no debts. No it's, children? No children.
1: No children, no debts.
6: Uh, an adjusted gross income probably of around $100,000. All right,
1: both of uh, y'all working? Yes, sir. Oh, financial planning for Dinks. <laughs> Dinks is dual income, no kids. That's us. Okay. Uh, All right, and the, you've got an adjusted gross income of how much? Uh, about uh, $100,000. 100, about 100000 the two of you.
6: Uh, 401k plan, stocks, mutual funds, and so forth, uh, insurances, disability, everything. How much do you
1: have in the stocks? Oh, uh, approximately.
6: Stocks and funds, probably thirty
1: thousand. Uh, well, I wanted to separate the stocks from the funds, if you. Oh. Uh, how much do you have in mutual funds? Do you know?
6: Well, probably about. Yeah, probably about fifteen thousand in each.
1: All right. Fifteen thousand stocks, fifteen thousand in mutual funds. What else did you say you had? Uh,
6: and probably about uh, thirty thousand in money market uh, in a money market account.
1: Thirty thousand in CDs. money. Market. And CDs. Anything else?
6: Well, we've got uh, you know our retirement plans, uh, money purchase plans, uh, uh, insurances, and things like that uh, that are that are doing real well. I'm not sure exactly the, the figures that, that all of those accounts might be worth.
1: What are your living expenses running, Charles?
6: Uh, well, they're they're minimal. Frankly, we 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 rent a home. Uh, we pay $600 a month rent. And,
1: uh, Wait a minute. Something doesn't make sense to me. If you're earning a hundred thousand dollars and all you've accumulated is thirty thousand dollars in money market and thirty thousand in stocks and securities, you've got you. You must be high spenders, not low spenders. No,
6: well, uh, I mean, where's the money going? <laughs> we we have not been earning that more than about uh, two to three years. All right. Uh, because I just uh, finished uh, uh, college. Oh, okay. Uh, my. I, finished my doctoral program and okay. just have really begun my profession I about, see. you know, 38, 33, 34.
1: Okay. All right. So that,
6: uh, I'm a late bloomer, if you will. All
1: right. Well, that, exp- that explains something. Okay. okay. So your living expenses are running about how much?
6: Well, uh, $600 for rent and then uh, whatever uh, utilities and so forth are uh, I probably $1,500 a month or something like that. All right. Maybe a little more. Yeah, uh, I was going
1: to say... Uh, that that would be a very attractive number because that would leave you a a large amount monthly well, we, to put into a, into an investment plan. And
6: in fact, we do. We we end up probably putting three thousand uh, a month into uh, into various uh, into the money market or either buying more uh, shares of a mutual fund and so Good. forth. Okay. And we had thought perhaps that we might need to buy a relatively expensive home simply to lower our tax liability.
1: Boo. Okay. It's not a tax shelter. A home is a shelter, not a tax shelter. It's a place where you live in. If you want tax shelters, there are good tax shelters out there today. There are oil and gas drilling deals.
6: The limited partnership. All of of
1: those are out there. and And you need to work with a certified financial planner to address the tax reduction need that you're talking about. But don't confuse it with the other need. You should buy the cheapest house that you think you'll be comfortable living in.
6: Well, you're you're that's that's a point well taken. You you don't build wealth uh, owning a half million dollar home and and driving two uh, two Lexus's or Mercedes. That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. You want to go ahead and look at your new status in life from a Future goal, identify the financial independence year. Right, right. You want to 62, come backwards I want to, to that? retire. All right. Uh, All of those numbers, those are air. numbers that uh-huh. you need to work with a certified financial All planner right. to tell you how much should be set aside monthly to reach that goal. We're, we're trying to do just that. And keep the house from hindering your progress. And <laughs> okay. Good advice.
2: And Charles, if I can send you any information, if you'd like, you can call me at the office. Okay. Our number is eight seven two seven thousand eight seven two seven thousand. Thank you, ma'am. Okay, and
1: thanks for thanks calling. For your time. Well, Debs, what else is new in the world of investment planning? We talked about retirement planning, estate planning. What about investment planning?
3: Well, you need to know what the right mutual fund mix is for you, and there are several types of mutual funds. So, Doug, why don't you and I go through? Uh, a handful of them that are out there in the big, broad categories. First of all, there are growth funds. Right, Growth funds are going to seek growth of capital over the long term by investing in companies with a history of rapidly growing earnings and generally higher price to earnings ratios. Growth funds are gonna be more volatile than bond or money market funds. That's right,
1: and so growth funds are the first type we think of, but then there are growth and income funds. And whenever you hear the term income attached to a mutual fund, Think dividends off of stocks. So a growth and income fund seeks growth of capital as well as current income. These funds typically invest in the common stock of companies that have a history of not only solid growth, but a record of consistent dividend payments. So that's the second type of fund, growth and income funds.
3: Another... Type of income fund is an equity income fund. These invest in a mixture of dividend-paying stocks and bonds with an objective of current income and, as a secondary goal, growth of capital.
1: So we have growth funds, growth and income funds, equity income funds. We also have balanced funds. Now, balanced funds seek to provide long-term growth of capital and to preserve capital and to provide income to investors by holding a mix of common stocks and bonds and preferred stocks and short-term securities. So these are balanced funds.
3: And then on the other side of the, the investment world are the pure bond funds. There are. These are designed to produce current income from investing in corporate and government securities. And now, I think
1: there's another category that we also should at least uh, mention, and these are in broad strokes called sector funds. Sector funds are funds that invest in the stocks in a particular sector, like pharmaceuticals, or bank companies, or real estate funds, Mm -hmm. utilities, utilities.
3: things that all fit together by the type of corporation they are.
1: So the question of what fund mix is right for you, there is no fund mix. There is, that's fit for everybody. There's definitely a fund mix that's right for you individually.
3: And that's really where when we get together with clients, we move down that risk pyramid, dependent on what the current need is, what the client risk, is, uh, where we are in an income versus growth focus of the portfolio. There's a lot of topics about different types of mutual funds, but you need to know what is best for your situation. Do you need growth? Do you need income? Do you need to be uh, more conservative and, and less aggressive? Where do you need to be invested? And what is your age? All good questions, necessary questions. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation... Call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well,
1: us let's, uh, let's, let's shift ch- channels and go back to what might be new in the world of re- re- just plain financial planning.
3: Well, Doug, there was an article that we hinted at that we were going to come back to. If you don't mind pausing, let's go back to that article. It was in regard to elderly parents who might... Uh, might have been scammed. Oh, that's right.
1: We mentioned that last yes. week. Well, let's let's touch on it then because children often find it difficult to stop fraud or to recover the money if their parent, their elderly parent has been scammed. When elderly parents become victims of a financial scam, it's often their adult children who are left to pick up the pieces.
3: Yeah, doing so can be time consuming, costly and stressful. It can be difficult to even discover or uncover exactly what happened, especially if the parents are embarrassed by the fact that they have been victimized. Or worse, they're fearful about possible retribution by the scammer.
1: Yeah. Parents may also deny they're being victimized, be unwilling to let their children help at all. And in any case, it's often very difficult to recover all of the parents' money. But still, there are steps that children can take to try to protect their parents, to limit the damage. And protect them from being scammed a second time.
3: Yeah. In this article that was uh, in the Wall Street Journal by Veronica D- uh, Dagger, she referenced an actual example of someone who had gone through this. And about two years ago, a lady named Angie Kennard had a feeling that something was, quote unquote, off with her then seventy nine year old father um, during visits and on the phone calls he'd say things about his quote unquote girlfriend that he had met online and would occasionally send money to now we're all right now cringing because we know that we've heard about these top types of scams, but Ms Kennard said she repeatedly told her father she thought it, that he was being conned and not to send the woman money. Um, and she asked him to give her power of attorney so that they could act on behalf of and help manage his financial affairs. But he refused.
1: Yeah, he said or she said that he was mad that I was trying to interfere with his personal life and the scammer would make him think that all I wanted was money.
3: So she decided to seek guardianship of her father's health and financial affairs, which would enable her to make decisions for him about those issues so she had him evaluated by a doctor but the doctor said he was fine and then she talked to some lawyers and the lawyers told her that she stood no chance of convincing a judge to give her guardianship and it was only after her father had been hospitalized after a massive stroke that he gave her power of attorney and she discovered the extent to this scam
1: yeah it is so sad that it took uh, a stroke to make him give her that power all told She says that her father had sent the woman over $700,000 during the two years, and he basically or essentially had given her his entire life savings. So when a parent has been scammed, empathy for the victim is a key initial step to start moving forward in the most productive way. Situations where family members are angry at the victim make it more difficult to identify the cause of the victimization Because the victim can shut down totally.
3: This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919-872-7000. Yeah. Now, if you're wondering, here are some concrete steps. And it's that you can take. Number one, report fraud to the parent's local police department and file a police report immediately. Because even if the investigation doesn't identify the scammer or result in a prosecution, documenting the fraud can be helpful when disputing any of the account charges.
1: Children should help the parent alert credit card companies and banks and other financial institutions where the parent has an account. They also should review the parents' credit reports for suspicious activity. And the parents' bank accounts, insurance policies, investments should be reviewed to see if there have been any changes in beneficiaries or account ownership or if loans have been taken out against the policies.
3: Yeah, wow, that would be so awful. But you can prevent some of this by just simply asking your parent for a power of attorney. This is just one of the easiest ways to to get access to the parents' accounts with their permission and assert more control over it. Now, there is the reality that many parents or some parents just may refuse this, and that's what you were alluding to earlier, Doug, when you said you can prevent a lot of things to go wrong when there's a very properly written revocable living trust.
1: Yeah, I wish that the, that the Canards and and her dad never. I wish they had been our clients. He had been our client ahead of time. Right. we would have had all of this prevented. You know, children can help prevent parents from being conned in the first place by educating the parents about possible scams, regularly communicating with them and noticing any changes in their behavior, such as a sudden fear of losing their home or submissiveness towards a caregiver, which can help catch a scam in its early stages. In the case of uh, Ms. Kennard, as soon as she discovered her father was scammed, she contacted the FBI, called a senior citizen's abuse hotline, she says the FBI told her that her father had likely been defrauded by a Nigerian-based crime syndicate that scams millions from senior citizens. It took her 4 months. 4 months she took off from work to handle her father's affairs. She packed up his apartment after the stroke to move him closer to her, spent hours battling insurance companies navigating Medicare and Medicaid. She spent weeks trying to find a Medicaid nursing home for him, since she couldn't afford to pay a home or remodel her own home. Her father died very recently. How sad! And it all could have been prevented if he had had a revocable living trust, right? With a proper with a, with, advice,
3: all right, proper documents, right, and Re- proper—I uh, guess a child knowing how to implement.
1: And if the, if the document, if the revocable living trust had had a uh, disability, a disability panel. panel of the children, wouldn't have had to go to see a doctor to prove him incompetent, and it all could have been prevoid, uh, avoided, prevented. Well, I think that's our show for tonight. We want to let you know that uh, you have a lot at risk. Your money matters because your financial future is at stake. And we are here to help you. We've been helping people for over 30 years. That's what we enjoy doing. Uh, Call us at the office at 919-872-7000. And remember, uh, we're here. We're the Lewis family. We're here to help you. Again, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.